0: Hey everyone, this is editing Navia here. Fine. And also Wanda is here physically Hello. with me. Uh, just wanted to let you know that we're gonna be going on a brief hiatus with this season um after this episode. So we will finish Return of the King uh when we come back. And so we'll be back on October thirty first. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. Ooh. Cool. See you then. Enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to One Does Not Simply where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 37. One does not simply prematurely release the Shadow Host. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkienverse ahead. With that said, let's get into it.
0: Hey, listeners! Welcome back to One Does Not Simply. <laughs> um, Off we... to a strong start. I mean, I'm just gonna like come out with it and say that I'm like sick. So this is, if I sound weird, that's why. Um, so today and I we're had too much mead. About...
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
1: And I'm yeah. not wearing any know <laughs> Yeah, the Ashani's naked.
0: Oh, good good the last debate <laughs> 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 okay so we're, today we're talking about chapters 9 and 10 of Return of the King um, and these chapters are the last debate and the black gate opens um, so in these chapters basically we are still dealing with the aftermath of the Battle of Pelennor Fields um, and Aragorn and Gandalf basically summon up all of the leaders who are currently in the city. And they have a little council and they're like, all right, what's our next move? And Gandalf basically is like, hey, we really need to go help Frodo out um, if he's alive. So let's go to Mordor, try to distract Sauron with our puny army and (laughs) and, um, hope that works. And so um, they all concur pretty quickly. And they go off to march towards the Black Gate. And then Chapter 10 is mostly just them like making their way through Mordor, spending most of the time wondering like why they're not encountering massive orc armies. Uh, but they get to the Black Gate and they see that Sauron has kind of been waiting for them. And um, they treat with the mouth of Sauron, who is an emissary that Sauron sends out of the Black Gate to basically tell them that they have nothing to fight for and that Frodo is dead and that they should just surrender everything to Mordor. All of their
2: best <laughs> material, all of Sauron's best bits go into this one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then basically the the forces of Gondor and Rohan and Dol Amroth and I guess a few other people they picked up um, decide that they are just going to fight anyway. And so that's kind of where we have... The last chapter of this half of Return of the King ending is with them like in full combat. Um, P- Pippin is there with the army. He is fighting. We're kind of getting the fight from his perspective. Uh, a troll has just fallen on top of him. <laughs> and, and then he looks up and is like, the eagles are here. <laughs> Which, we'll talk about that choice. Um, <laughs> anyway. So uh, I guess I, I want to start with this this quote-unquote debate that happens. Um, well, actually, let's rewind.
1: Yeah. So who knows if the Eagles are going to show up again. Honestly, the thing that shocked me the most about, not shocked, but that I laughed the most about with the Eagles was that Pippin is straight up like... Oh, surely this can't be happening. That was Bilbo's story where the eagles came in at the 11th hour to save everyone. I must be, like, imagining it and about to die.
0: Tolkien's awareness that he has already used this JSX Machina and then just does it again anyway. He's like, no, nope, I got nothing else. I have these eagles here for a reason, and this is the reason. Certainly not to fly the ring to Mordor, but here it is.
2: I mean, what, one thing that I think we haven't really talked about is the possibility that Tolkien himself was working the eagles into the story at this point because he thought that, like, otherwise it would be an incongruity to not have them show up at all. Right. That This was sort of a um, this was like a halfway solution between having the eagles just fly them to Mordor uh, and not actually having them in the
0: books. I feel like it's just a reminder of how stupid it is that the eagles didn't fly them to Mordor. Clearly, they're capable of flying to Mordor. They just did it.
1: Right. And they're capable of getting involved in dangerous situations because they just did it. Like, I, it...
0: I, I want to have a word with, I think his name is here, the head eagle in charge. I don't, maybe, maybe he's like the eagle equivalent of Aragorn and he just doesn't want to <laughs> lead. Or
2: maybe like, maybe this is, yeah, maybe it's just, I don't know, something that is deliberately thrown in there as a thing that's like not even really supposed to mean that much like maybe it's just it's maybe you're not even supposed to make too much of the eagles because the eagles don't really do anything like they just like they just come in at the last minute and they what do they do they pick up frodo from the mountain and sam well, I think and, they're
0: they're they're to fight the nazgul right like cuz they have these like fell beasts still mm yeah they're they're just they're
2: fulfilling the they're half of the one good beast to one fell beast rule but they're like they really just don't i mean By the time they show up, there's a a lot of fighting of the Nazgul that could have already happened.
1: Yeah. We also don't really know how it turns out yet because Pippin passes out as soon as they show up.
0: Yeah, because a troll fell on him. How is he not dead? Side
1: note, how is it that Theoden dies from a horse falling on him, but somehow Pippin is, like, gonna just walk off a, a troll? crushing him
0: the shire folk are really hardy okay that's that's what we know about them at this point like i'm pretty sure we're gonna get a scene at some point where like somebody sees pippin under this troll and is like wow these hobbits are really pretty hardy huh yeah
2: no theoden actually did not die from the horse falling on him he died of uh covid but it was activated by the horse oh no
1: but the cdc doesn't count that as a covid death sorry we've derailed your conversation entirely navia Uh,
0: yeah i guess i guess we were going to talk about the eagles okay (laughs) um i mean i don't really have much else to say about them other than that is it supposed to represent something in that that tolkien has seen happen in a battle where like something comes out of the sky to save them like a plane (laughs) it could be a plane (laughs)
2: That would actually make me angry if that was the case. If Tolkien is like if, if all of this is just supposed to be a metaphor for like the invention of aircraft. Well, I was gonna say the other thing is that um, people people always complain about this like quote unquote plot plot hole with the eagles, and I've always thought that was very tedious, but the the real like the real problem is that they introduce the eagles in like one sentence and then they're gone. And that's like a classic Tolkienism right? Like he just like throws things in for like two seconds that are really important. And then he like never mentions them again. And in the meantime, he spends like five pages describing a tree. That's, it's not very consistent storytelling. And I feel like people who lash out at the inconsistent deployment of eagles are really just lashing out at this particular type of thing that Tolkien does all the time.
0: There's kind of a problem with him using a plot device like the eagles that as Pippin calls out, and like you said, Ashani, he's already used in The Hobbit, so all of his readers are aware of this piece in this world, and he chooses to use them in like what I would consider probably the most useless circumstances. I don't know if my complaint is that he doesn't talk about them enough, more and more just like it's very illogical when they show up.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I could have tolerated it better if the reason why the Eagles couldn't get involved had been better established from the start. But originally it was really just like, oh, the Eagles don't really want to get involved in any of this conflict. And and so they're choosing to stay out of it. And then it's like, well, but clearly they're willing to make exceptions and why like um, people are inconsistent and that's fine but we don't get any kind of justification about like what kinds of situations are they going to make exceptions for or like what was the thought process behind making that exception it just kind of feels like when he needs to get out of doing something he's like oh yeah I forgot that I have these eagles
0: I mean it's the same thing with the army of the dead right that we talked about too where it's like he's choosing to introduce these elements that could just be massive game changers in all of the battles that he describes. And then they just don't. Um, in I mean, my we opinion, see... Army of
2: the Dead is a much bigger um, loophole than eagles because they actually have them there. And there's nothing that that, that Army of the Dead can do to basically say, we want to go home now or we want to go be dead now. They're basically just doing Aragorn's bidding as long as he wants. But Aragorn chooses not to bring them into the battle for some reason. I was like we oh, actually okay. get
0: to see in this chapter that scene finally where like Legolas and Gimli are kind of telling the story of where they've been this whole time to the hobbits and they talk about Aragorn like taking over this these ships and then at the end of them commandeering the ships he just decides to let him go he's like you've fulfilled your oath goodbye <laughs> i'm going to go fight a massive army of orcs without you now um and there is no explanation. He doesn't talk about like why he did that, why that constitutes the fulfilling of the oath. Nothing.
2: Yeah. It's it, it does seem like it it makes it makes the whole scene seem like a lot more mystical, which I like. Um it's the the fact that you are not um you're not really allowed to just take this uh this tool that could be like a, a Deus Ex Machina thing, uh and then just like whip it around and like dick slap Sauron's armies with it as you will. I think that's like a, a that's a that's a fun thing about the books <laughs> is that like they don't they don't really like besides the ring, which in theory you can use for anything, uh there's nothing in the book that you can that has like that kind of fungible utility. And at a certain point, like it seems like Aragorn kind of just like gets a feel for it and he's like, seems like they shouldn't be here anymore. And then Let's them go.
0: I still think that it's extremely premature.
2: Yeah. Premature what exactly? (laughs)
0: Okay, fine. I'll say it. Premature releasing of the shadow host. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. He needs some ghost Viagra, I guess. (laughs) okay i want to to rewind uh a little bit to the beginning of this chapter since we're just completely off script now uh go for it so we actually we started out the chapter with legolas and gimli who i guess we haven't heard from in a while they showed up here and i was like oh hey guys uh (laughs) but i had forgotten about this budding bromance and it continues in full form um And basically, like, they are telling the story of where they've been to Merry and Pippin, who apparently they're best friends with. We never got the establishment of this friendship, like, to this level of depth. But literally, they're like, we really need to go see these hobbits right now. Uh, And this is the kind of content that I really wish Tolkien put in his stories of, like, how did this friendship happen? How did Legolas and Gimli and Merry and Pippin become best buds? I don't know.
2: Yeah. Or maybe they were just—they're just—they're just dying to see some familiar face. They're bored of each other. They're like, enough Gimli, enough Legolas.
1: They clearly aren't because, like, one of the first thing that gets said is Legolas is like, oh, I hear the call of the gulls," and now it reminds me that, like, I crave the sea. And Gimli is just like, "Please don't go."
0: Yes, Gimli is basically just like, Which was "I love very you. Sweet. Please don't leave me.
2: <laughs> Something that occurs to me, like while they were um, jumping up ahead, just ever so slightly. Um, sorry. But as Legolas is recounting the trip that they took with Aragorn through the Paths of the Dead and down to Minas Tirith, or rather down and then up to Minas Tirith, um, because they go down to I Pelargir, is that what it's called? And then they come up Oh my up.
0: god, they introduce like eighty new places in this chapter. I'm like Yeah. okay,
2: Yes. Thanks. Um, yeah, so they, as they're, as Legolas is recounting this, it becomes very clear, like, he, like, throws, like, a song in there at one point, and Gimli, meanwhile, is basically just, like, rocking back and forth, like, I can't talk about it, I can't even think about it, and that reminded me a lot of, like, my friendships with you guys and other friends of mine, where, like, uh, you can be in a situation with somebody, and the strength of the friendship is that you experience the same situation completely differently, um, like, one person is completely traumatized by it, and the other person is basically, like, doing their gap year, which is what it seemed like Legolas and Gimli were doing.
1: I'm so curious what situations you thought of with us that have been like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, now I'm just sitting here going back in my memory going, like, what were the times where it seemed like one of us was really just not having a good time and the other person was obliviously out, like, picking flowers? What are you
2: talking about? We went to high school together. <laughs> okay, well, fair. Were any of us having a good time
1: then? Do
2: you remember when we, we were went all just out? Miserable
1: in different ways.
2: We went out. I think we went out one time to uh, that one that one all ages club, and Ashani was like getting hit on all over the place, and navia like y- you and I, were having like kind of more. I don't think I was there. Uh,
0: My mother would have never let me go to an all ages club. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure you were there. Really? Okay. Oh, pretty- no. You know what? I do know which one you're talking about.
2: Yeah, Shawnee was getting a lot of attention, and and Navi and I are both having uh, slightly more celibate evenings, uh, and well, not like Ashani was like having sex or anything. You just cut <laughs> all this, um, but I <laughs> even like experiences of like that where I was like, "Shawnee, I'm so jealous." Uh, not not everybody who was present that night had that kind of like uh, h- hatred of Ashani. Only
0: me. <laughs> I was thinking about the time when I flew to Mongolia to hang out with you and I got to the airport and I was like, um, where's Wanda? And then (laughs) when I met up with you later, you were like, yeah, sorry, I was getting mugged.
2: (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I think a lot of our travel experiences were actually kind of like that, where, like, there were parts of that big van ride that we took through, like, the desert, um, and, like, there was, like, a whole, there was a whole leg, several hours of that ride, where, like, you seemed like you were really having a good time, and I thought I was kind of barf, and so I was just lying down, like, in your lap for a lot of it, listening to Tracy Chapman's Give Me One Reason over (laughs) and over and over again. That's basically Gimli's vibe, and I, uh, it resonates with me.
0: What do you think about this... Both of you commented on this, like, big metaphorical speech that Legolas gives. Um, I didn't really have many thoughts about this, but I would love to hear your thoughts about it.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, sorry. I was like, who's going to go first? Um, yeah. Speak, me, you apparently. naked naked little rat. <laughs> Dear listeners, I'm not actually naked, but my camera makes it look like I am. Um <laughs> I feel like we're drunk, but uh, none of us are drunk. <laughs> Wanda might be drunk. Um I am okay, so she's cold definitely over. drunk. <laughs> God, this is just gonna be an unhinged recording, and I'm sorry that you have to edit it. It was interesting to me, so they're talking about um about the deeds of men and whether or not effort is is worth it if they don't actually fulfill the thing that they were trying to set out to do. And Legolas is much more optimistic about that. And he's basically just like, yeah, okay, so maybe humankind starts a lot of things and they fail, but those things then sprout new seeds and that come back again, like, better and better even when you're not expecting them to. And Gimli is much more pessimistic about it, which I don't know that I would have expected until I took a minute to think about it. But like, it, Gimli is basically saying, or to me, it sounded like Gimli is basically saying that even the the deeds that live on in legend don't actually necessarily have a meaningful impact. Because um, Legolas goes, the deeds of men will outlast us, and Gimli says, and yet come to naught in the end, but might have beens, I guess. And so this idea that even the things that are, are quote unquote great deeds that are sung about in legend or told about in tale aren't necessarily going to make a difference for the people who live there in that moment. And I guess the thing that contextualized that for me is remembering where Gimli comes from and the fact that like the dwarves of Erebor committed like did all these great deeds and accomplished all these wonderful things and then fucked it up so badly that their people are now decimated and their home is was
0: lost for generations and so and he's also seen like on this journey right like he's seen the mines of moria which were supposed to be like some of the greatest halls of his people now like laid waste by orcs and um he i think like like you said it is i think it's both contextual in terms of like what each of them has seen but i also think it's contextual in the sense that like legolas lives forever gimli does not so he actually gets to live on to see what happens to these deeds and and i think gimli's pessimism comes from the fact that like from his perspective like he doesn't maybe care very much um about what happens after he's dead right
2: do you think that Gimli is is more fatalistic about like the deeds of man because he's not gonna be around to see it? Is Legos is Legolas uh optimistic out of sheer necessity because otherwise it would be a pain to live forever?
0: Oh, that's an interesting flip of that. I was thinking like Legolas will actually just get to see the results so he can he can afford to be more optimistic, but I also like the take that like he has to be, because that's the only way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it would was, be really grim yeah. to live forever if you're sitting there going like, well, nothing means anything if you can't if it isn't successful. I also think it's the the
2: the really beautiful thing about this conversation aside from the like the friendship that we see like them act out is also that they are um there's you don't you never get this question answered in the books. Um it's a speculation and they're both speculating in in different directions about what's going to happen in middle earth like after both of their civilizations are gone and only men remain and it's like uh it's it I love these parts of the book right it's like the like that break where it's like you i don't know you just you you get to think about what what exists in the world beyond the text and it's the polar opposite of the other thing that tolkien does which is long screeds about what happened a thousand years before the events of the book began
1: well and i think like you wanda i like the speculation about the meaning and the impact of current choices in the future much more than i like the the random asides about things that happened a thousand years ago that may or may not have any meaningful impact on what is happening now like i'm thinking about when we int- get introduced to the mouth of sauron in the next chapter like right away, we get a whole paragraph that's just like, oh, and here's what people speculated about his origins. And here's a like a five sentence backstory drop about this guy. We're never going to see him again. Like that to me really did not matter at all. And I was just like, okay, he's, can we just move on? But I'm glad that he took the time for Legolas and Gimli.
0: It's funny that you say that because we were just talking about how we wanted more information about the Eagles rather than, like, the one-sentence name drop. <laughs> but, but I think that's, that's but kind Eagles of, like, the point, right? But the Eagles actually do
1: something, right? Like,
0: Yeah, it's it doesn't seem like he has a great grasp of, like, what his readers really want to know more about versus, like, what he just wants to tell you more about. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's that's the that's the Chad part of these books is like that it's you just have to sit there and like read what
0: Tolkien wants you to read. By the way, side note, we did get confirmation from Legolas that Imrahil is hot. So, yes, there it is. Yes, that was the most
2: important part of chapter nine. One more reason why Imrahil is an obvious choice to be in the
0: movies. Yeah, Okay. so he's like way more important than I expected him to be. Uh, given that he's just fully left out of of Peter Jackson's movies. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this, again, quote-unquote debate. It's not much of a debate. Gandalf pretty much tells them what they're going to do, and they're all like, cool, yep, let's do it.
1: For once, Gandalf actually really clearly explains why he wants them to do something, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: shocking how that works. Right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I want to talk about, like, there are several leaders, right, who are here at this council. So we have Gandalf, we have Aragorn, we have Imrahil, Prince of Dol Amroth, and we also have Amr, who is currently now King of Rohan. Um, So I feel like this is a very interesting opportunity for Tolkien to give us like a, a contrast between leadership styles and it actually could have been a very good opportunity to see Aragorn take charge and be the de facto leader of this entire group and peoples. Instead, I feel like, like, Imrahil is the one who comes off that way. Um, And that's, that's a choice uh, for a character that, again, like, basically just showed up in this book and we're probably never going to see again.
1: So one of the things that I actually noticed about Immerhill was that when he pops back up again in this chapter, it actually feels like, unlike some of the other characters we've been introduced to relatively briefly, he's getting more prominent over time, not less, which is an interesting choice, right? Usually we get introduced to a character, they show up for a chapter or two, and then they kind of vanish. And with Immerhill, it's like, okay, he got introduced several chapters ago. We saw him ride into the city. And he's actually gotten more screen time and more lines the further into this book we go. Which is interesting, then, that he doesn't make it into the movies. Because it feels like, at this point, he's a pretty prominent supporting character. Like, he's shown up, it feels like as much as Aomer has just in a more compressed time span and everything he says is very sensible and like makes a lot of sense. And I know, I think Wanda you had pulled out another thing that he did that you were like, yes, this is good leadership. And I think Navia you had as well. For me, the thing that I really liked was they're talking about um, like how many people they can muster to go take to the gates of Mordor and he says, like, as the person who is currently serving in the role as steward of Minas Tirith, it is mine to think first of its people. And so he's, I mean, he's basically doing Aragorn's job here and taking care of the people of Gondor, not just the army, but the civilians. And what a refreshing change of pace. He
2: is supposed to, he he comes off as a... um a very uh super normie he's he's just he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing and he has um he has a pretty untainted by being a mythic figure kind of role uh and my theory about why they didn't put him in the movies is that he would have detracted away from mary and pippin and frodo and sam who are supposed to be the most human or like normal characters in the in the series because he's a little bit He's even more normal than the rest of them, right? Or he's as normal as the rest of them, but he also happens to be hot and have some stature, so he would have taken uh, a lot of attention away from them. So I, I, I would say that that's a that's a choice that they made, maybe out of maybe because the movie was suffering from a deficit of normal people anyway, um, and wanted to put all that focus on the hobbits.
0: That's an interesting take. I feel like I would actually say maybe that. He was left out of the movies because he detracts from Aragorn's role. And I think, as as you guys were talking, something that I realized is that, like, of these people that are assembled in this council, Amr is, has just been made king. Aragorn has never done this before. Gandalf is not a king. So Imrahil is actually, like, the only one who has any experience in a leadership role. He has been the prince of Dol Amroth this whole time. He knows how to lead people. Um, and I think no, maybe I think in the you're, movie...
2: I think you're right about that, actually. I think he would have taken away a lot of the limelight from Aragorn in the movie. Um, because yeah. they were already kind of struggling to make Aragorn uh, into a, a comp... Or a com- not, not a competent, but, like, a compelling character.
0: Yeah, I think in the movies, like, they want Aragorn to seem like he was born to be king. And not that he had to, like, learn it.
1: And there's definitely some things where Imrahil is just like, no, you have to announce yourself as king specifically because it's meaningful for you to announce yourself as king and not just say like, oh, it's the captains of the West. Imrahil is the one who's saying, I'm going to say that I'm following the king of Gondor and I'm going to say that you are king of Gondor. And it's not Aragorn taking on that responsibility. It's Imrahil being like, someone needs to step up and you're here. And you're talking about doing it, and now you've got to actually do it, which I could see being a thing they didn't want to put in the movie.
2: He sort of midwifes Aragorn's transition between guy who's been trading on his name to work his way up to the to this point. Um, like he midwifes him from that from that kind of person into like person who is still able to trade on his name, but now actually is the king, more or less. Um, and, and in that, in that passage that you just talked about, he, he goes, you know, when Aragorn's saying, okay, I think we should take Gandalf's advice and send as many people as we can to, uh, the Gate to distract Sauron from Frodo and Sam, Imrahil just goes, your wish is my command. Like you, I, you don't need to convince me. I'm going to behave as though you're my king because there's like, he's like, he understands like there's nothing else to be done at this point. It's not like he's going to be king. (laughs) So he's a very normal person. Um and And that's like the way I think that's that's the that's that's all part of the uh the case that Tolkien is trying to make for um monarchy being rescuable, which I personally disagree with, but I think is like speaks to speaks to Tolkien's values around like there being by necessity more than one smart and capable person in even a monarchy
1: yeah and I like the way you framed that, that he's the one who's essentially midwifing this transition. And I will say now I'm a little sad that we didn't get a version of the movie where we had, like, kindly father figure Theoden and deranged father figure Denethor and then hot zaddy father figure Imrahil to mentor Aragorn because, damn it, we deserved that. That would have been really good.
0: It's making me, like, a little bit more sympathetic towards Aragorn, I think, to see him in this role where, like, he really doesn't know what he's doing. And I think Tolkien, like, l- putting that part in and, like, letting us see him learn from other people uh, makes him, to me, like, a much more sympathetic character.
1: At this point, I'm actually going to be really upset if Imrahil dies because... I'm very attached to him.
0: He doesn't die. Sorry, spoiler alert. He's going to be at oh, no, Aragorn's coronation. Good.
1: That's good. <laughs> he's hot and competent. I'd be sad if he died.
2: Yeah. I would I'm be really sure sad also the if they actually had him in the movie and it's just like a nameless extra who just shows up in the credits.
0: It feels like the kind of thing that they would have like cast someone for and then like while they were filming been like, I don't know about this.
2: Yeah. Also, uh, I, you know, to the extent that they were trying to do this as much as possible, missed Easter egg opportunity. Uh, casting like Andy Sandberg or something as Immerhill in some kind of secret deleted scene.
1: Andy Sandberg was how old when?
2: Like 2. I don't know.
1: No, but I mean like 20. He, he's probably that, that like ma- That makes
0: of... it funnier. <laughs> a baby. Um so I want to I want to move on from Immerhill for a second to talk about um this conversation with the mouth of sauron uh because basically what happens here is that the mouth of sauron comes out also just I, with the eye of sauron and the mouth of sauron i just i'm loving just the imagining all of the pieces of sauron wandering around as different entities like i can the fix toe him. of sauron the bicep of sauron <laughs> The Dick of Sauron. Anyway. Sauron
1: has just contracted out to someone who's and he's just like, please go have sex with people <laughs> in my name.
0: You I
2: appoint thee the Dick of Sauron. <laughs> I, I appoint you the self-confidence of
0: Sauron. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, the inner voice so the, ma- <laughs> the mouth of Sauron comes out and basically he has Frodo's um, mithril coat. And a couple of other artifacts that Frodo has been carrying around because, again, when we last left Frodo, he had been captured by the orcs and Sam had just taken the ring and sting from him. Um, and so the mouth comes out and is basically like, Frodo's dead. Uh, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> and, uh, no, no, no. He doesn't say he's point, dead.
1: Like, he says he's captured. Oh, he's, yeah, sorry. then he, he offers to trade him back.
0: Right, right. My bad. So he yeah he's he's making he's trying to make a deal with this army basically saying give all of your land to Mordor and we'll return Frodo to you. And Pippin immediately like reacts like he cries out as soon as he sees Frodo's stuff and Gandalf is like shut the fuck up. And and Gandalf makes this this super in my opinion badass move where he just like completely calls the mouth of Sauron's bluff on this. Um, and is like you don't have him, we're gonna fight you anyway. And I I was reading your notes, Ashani, and I this was a super interesting point that you had put in here because I was when I was reading this, I was like, oh wow, like is Gandalf just going balls to the wall and is like, fuck it, we're going, we're we're gonna fight no matter what. But I, reading your notes, it seems like he might have actually deduced that one of the hobbits is still alive and, or sorry, I shouldn't say alive, one of the hobbits has not been captured. Um, Do you want to, like, talk through this reasoning a little?
1: Yeah, so this was something where what the mouth of Sauron throws down to prove that they've captured a spy is very specifically Frodo's mithril armor, an elven cloak, which both of them had, and then Sam's sword. It's not Sting. And so I had to go back and see, but in the end of the last book, at the end of, um, like, when we leave Frodo and Sam, Sam leaves his sword with Frodo and takes Sting instead. And so Gandalf obviously doesn't know that part. But the fact that the mouth of Sauron then says he refers to a spy in the singular multiple times, he says, we have captured your spy, not your spies, And so Pippin sees all that stuff and I think recognizes, oh, that's not Frodo's sword. And so initially, I think we're meant to think, oh, everybody there thinks both hobbits have been killed. But then the mouth only refers to one spy. And so Gandalf, my sense is that Gandalf realizes the mouth thinks they've got the only hobbit who was there. They think they've got the one person that got sent on this mission. And they don't realize that there were two people because they're not trying to play like they have both of them, which they could have done, right? They have both of their stuff. If they'd had two people, they could have been like, we have both of them because they have things from both of them. But they didn't realize that they had things from both of them because Sam swapped swords. And so if Gandalf realizes that
0: mm, he also yeah, like reacts to seeing he also reacts to seeing Pippin and he's like, oh, you have another one of these. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's the first time he's realized that there's more than one, which, again, super subtle. It could have just been like, a, oh, like there's a third. Right. But I think yeah. it indicates that, like, he's seeing another hobbit for the first time.
1: If they had actually got the ring, why would they bother to bargain? Right. Like, why would they come and try and set up a deal? And I feel like that was the part that really clinched it, was that they were then willing to make a trade is, to me, the action of somebody who doesn't quite have everything he's looking for just yet. Right. Like, if he had the ring, Sauron would probably just be like, huh, fuck it. Like, we're just going to wipe these people off the map. There is no bargaining that needs to happen. And so that's why I felt like Gandalf was in a position where he could reasonably confidently make that play. Because he has a pretty good reason to hope that at least one of the hobbits still has the ring in his possession and has not been captured.
2: There is, like, another way to read it, too. Um, And, like, in addition to that, which I think is, like, a very astute and sharp reading But you could also just read it as Gandalf is exercising some masterful follow through skills here. His intention is to take them to the Black Gate and to make it seem like they have all of the resources in the world at their disposal. um, And basically to play this bluff as long as they can uh, and to to draw out Sauron's forces and Sauron's attention by making him think that he uh, that it's a good use of his time relative to any other threats that might be cropping up in different places, right? And and Gandalf is basically just uh you know, uh seeing a wrench thrown into that plan because it's possible Frodo and Sam have been taken captive and he's just pushing through, you know. I love this line. Uh I'm not like I, I don't have the book on me, but it's like where he says, um, have you like have you really like been so fucked over by like our performance in battle that you're reduced to haggling with us? And it's like it's it's the kind of thing where like um, it's, it's, like, completely insane to say that from, like, a political perspective. Like, you're, you're sidestepping the offer of a bargain, absolutely, and you're just going, like, what? Like, why do, you, why do you think that we would want to bargain with you? Uh, and I think that the, 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 like, the gamble that he makes there by, like, just sticking to the plan really pays off because the mouth of Sauron is, like, really, really pissed off by this. And then I think that, like, clinches for everybody there that, like, oh, they they're, Sauron's hand is weaker than it appeared to be for a second there, because, you know, if it was if if that was really the case, if they were really like in the bargaining position that like they thought that they were in, then they wouldn't be so pissed off to see Gandalf rejecting the offer of 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 a bargain.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Gandalf is in like a situation here where like there isn't really a decision for him to make so much. Right. They're already here. Their, their whole army is already here. They're at the Black Gate and there's going to be some kind of showdown. And I think it all goes back to what Ishani was saying, which is like, why would they be bargaining if they had the ring? So basically the, the fact that the Mouth is even trying to like treat with them at all, as opposed to the orcs just like laying this army to waste immediately, means that they I think that it means that Sauron thinks that they still have the ring.
2: Well, I think also the the thing, though, is that like Sauron's Sauron's power is something that he doesn't just use to kill and to dominate. It's also um, something that he uses to exert despair. And so he could just be theoretically like sending the his emissary out to bargain just to like humiliate them. Right. Like just to force them to accept these terrible terms um, for the sake of like recovering one spy that they could, could get, could, you know, have returned to them. And that would be like, that'd be some, that'd be some sauron ass work.
1: And it could honestly be a combination of things, right? Like, all of those things sound plausible. And it's also plausible that, like, all of these things are true at once.
0: I think I'm inclined to believe your explanation the more I think about it, Ishani, because I'm just remembering this whole, like, moment where Pippin cries out and Gandalf is like, shut up. And I think an explanation for why he reacts so violently to that is, like, do not tell them that there is more than one, right? Because he understands that Pippin thinks that this means Frodo and Sam are both dead, and he does not want to reveal that there's another hobbit. Like, otherwise, why would he he react so violently to Pippin just, like, being in grief?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And then it really does mean he can commit to this play of, okay, we're going to just be as aggressive as possible. We want to draw as much attention as possible because there is a reason to still do that. Like, there is still value in doing that. Not just, like, making a last stand, but, like, making a last stand as showily and as obnoxiously as they possibly can. Gandalf was at like, his, like,
0: like peak likability in these chapters.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, you get peak Gandalf here and peak Aragorn, I think. Um The the passage in the in this last in the the 10th chapter where uh, a lot of the men are basically freaking out because they're in Mordor for the very first time and they've only ever heard of it in children's fairy tales and so they defect and Aragorn goes that's fine i understand just go here's here's like a different assignment over somewhere that's like way less scary and then a lot of the men undefect because that's such a manly deed for Aragorn to have done Um, and, uh, the thing is like, Aragorn in these chapters is participating in this charade uh, of being a confident king, right? That, and then at the same time, he's actually legitimately becoming the king. Like they're like playing it off, like to Sauron, like, you know, the king has returned trying to make it seem like they're overplaying their hand. But like, at the same time, it's
0: actually happening. I don't know. Well, for all intents and purposes, this is actually his first act as king, right? Like, he has not yet declared himself king at all, except in this very moment. Right, right.
2: And it's like, and, and for a lot of the people who were there, it's the it's this, like, feint that he's performing that's actually going to register to the soldiers as, like, the actual sincere declaration of Aragorn becoming king. Tolkien definitely has a gift for the, the bizarre.
0: Do you do want to jump to quickfire?
2: My quickfire is about, uh, at the end of chapter 9, there's a discussion of how they shouldn't actually throw all of their forces into doing this maneuver at the Black Gate, because there's still a whole Minas Tirith to defend and some other places around to defend in Gondor. And also, I think it's Aeomer that mentions there's a whole army to the north that has not been defeated yet. Uh, And the army to the north, as far as I could gather, was the orcs that they ran into that the Rohirrim, that the Rohirrim ran into on their way down to the Pelennor Fields was that it. I think like what, so. What are what is the army in the north? What is that?
1: I mean, basically, like there were a bunch of different Sauron's forces had split right, so they could make multiple approaches on the city, and so I think like. Some of those forces were killed, but some of them were just driven off. And so I'm wondering if the army to the north is where, like, some of those, like, non murdered orcs regrouped or oh, are okay. regrouping.
2: So it wasn't Maybe. like, I a don't know, previous I don't, like, foe. it was actually like just the, the splintering of the armies that they were dealing with before.
1: I, I think so, but uh, don't quote me on that. You're on a podcast. <laughs>
2: yes but you know he's, this has all been all, recorded yes, is I, uh,
1: yes i understand that this is recorded but don't take that as like set fact <laughs> is maybe a better way of saying that this is my speculation only
0: i love that response on <laughs> <laughs> you're on a fucking podcast
1: uh what's your quick fire navia
0: um so, okay, I'm just going to go back to talking about my main character, who's Eowyn. Um, and so she's, she's very briefly mentioned in this chapter by Legolas. And I just wanted to bring up the fact that I don't think Tolkien knows at all how women work because <laughs> apparently everyone just knows about Eowyn's unrequited crush on Aragorn which is like the most embarrassing thing ever for her and yeah (laughs) it's so cringe and no person would actually ever reveal their feelings like this to like everyone under the sun um so yeah that wouldn't have happened and also I'm so sorry Eowyn this is so embarrassing for you (laughs)
1: He also really like he's like oh the cold warrior lady or something and I'm like dude you barely met her like why do you gotta do that?
2: <laughs> I wonder if She's Faramir's doing gonna major like that <laughs> Faramir's gonna be like ooh, I'm cooked from the beginning. Huh?
0: Oh also when does Faramir and Eowyn happen? We are all we're at the end of this half. When the yeah, hell we have do to get they get through get more
2: Sam and Frodo before we get Eowyn and Faramir?
1: Is that like at vegetables? the
2: very end, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's so. one
1: of the like twelve epilogues,
2: no, and oh. I think that it literally like it gets I remember reading these books when I was horny and like twelve years old, and I was like,, oh, I can't wait for that part, but it's a sentence at the very yeah, end like
0: everything that. that Tolkien does that's not describing places, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Shawnee, do you have a quick fire?
1: Yes, um, I was kind of trying to figure out like what what are we going for for our quick fires this time? so I'm gonna go with my sensible quick fire, um as opposed to my lol quickfire. The sensible quickfire is that I really liked this, um, I I think it's a Gandalf line, which is, yet it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the sucker of those years wherein we are set. Like that whole little speech about we can't do everything, right? And we shouldn't even try to do everything. All we've got to do is take care of what we can take care of so that the people who come after us have that chance, like have clean earth to till is the phrase that Tolkien uses. And every so often he just drops stuff like that. And I'm like, Ooh, damn the human experience. Like it doesn't happen all the time, but that one really hit.
2: Yeah, it's true. You got to just stay in your lane time-wise and yes. arc arc of the
0: yes. universe wise. It, it kind of nicely yeah. ties back to what, what Legolas and Gimli were talking about, too.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what I appreciate about it is, like, I was actually, I was listening to some of our previous episode drafts this afternoon on my walk, and we've talked about it before, but he does really write chapters around a theme, not all the time, but often enough that it's like, oh yeah, I'm noticing that Tolkien does this, that he'll introduce an idea at the start of a chapter and then he'll kind of come back to it over and over. And I do think like in chapter nine, the theme is very much about like what makes a great deed and what makes a deed important and valuable and worthwhile, right? Yes. Like at the beginning you get
2: Legolas and Gimli talking about the far future and what's going to happen after both of their civilizations expire and there's only men left and at the end you get Gandalf saying you got a TCB while you YOLO so it all kind of comes back around
0: and they are bookends to the deed itself right which is this act that they are doing of going to the Black Gate
1: and then meanwhile the very next chapter we get the towers of the teeth (laughs) the teeth of Sauron (laughs) <laughs> his dentures that he keeps in a little jar by his bed. These are the teeth of Sauron. Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Navia. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does not simplypod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all of our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to.
0: Uh, for context listeners, if I leave this in, want to just like spit out her drink. <laughs>